You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 78 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we've got none other than Josh Steele. We're going back to the players. Josh is a GB senior international and he's early in his professional career. But what I think is unique about his story and one of the reasons I wanted to have him on is he's taken a little bit, little bit more of an unconventional route uh, than most. Uh, yes, he went to the States. Yes, he went to a Division One school. <clears throat> but he ended up leaving early, uh, left uh, midway through his sophomore year. And has still managed to make it work. Now, this is a guy growing up, um, you know, our paths are very closely aligned, like a lot of the guests recently. Um, I remember him as a 13, 14-year-old playing Division One men, uh, starting on their playoff title squad, BA London Leopards, um, as a 14-year-old. And then, you know, winning all these other accolades, uh, representing Jordan uh, Jordan Brand Classic game uh, in New York City starting, which puts him in the top 20, 20 international players of his, of his age group. Uh, being selected to basketball without borders camp, representing England at 16s, 18s, 20s. Like uh, as far as junior careers go, he had a, a one of the better ones uh, since I've been covering the sport. That's for sure. So yeah, to see him then go on to college and, and have a tough time at college and end up leaving college, uh, but then still having been able to make this pro basketball thing work. Uh, he's now in Spain, heading into his uh, fourth pro season. I think I think it is. Um, it's super impressive, and I think it's good to show that there are other ways of doing thing and uh, doing things, and it's not always necessary to to. Follow the, the 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 pre-agreed route or pathway that that most do um, when we talk about basketball players uh, in the UK. As always, before we get into the show, let me mention our Patreon account. Uh, please go and check it out p a t r e o n dot com forward slash h o p s f i x. There you can start to give us a monthly or annual contribution of as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but it goes a long way in funding the projects that we want to do, the work that we do, uh, growing the British basketball, ma- uh, basketball media landscape, and really uh, shining a light on this sport uh, that we love so much. So please go and check it out, uh, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, let's get some conversation going. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, leave a comment. Let, let me know what you think about uh, what Josh had to say. Um, if you want to reach out to me uh, on any single social media platform, it's at hoopsfix, or you can hit me up on my email address. You prefer some private interaction, uh, sam at hoopsfix.com. Anyway... That is enough from me. Here is this week's show with me and Josh Steele. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, let's 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 kind of get people up to date about kind of where you are, what's been going on. Um, obviously, last season you were in Spain with more on. Like uh, I assume, did your season get cut short? Uh, I know, obviously, COVID hit when you were there. So, kind of, what what was the what was the impact of of coronavirus on the on the tail end of your season last year? Yeah, um, it was interesting, man. It all happened really, really fast. Like, almost felt like in, in one night. I remember there we was uh, sort of sceptical. We was hearing uh, that we weren't going to be playing this weekend. So, obviously, we were sceptical about the entire season. And, uh, um, in fact, I was hanging out with some of the some of the guys who were celebrating because he was just having a – he was just having a um, – he just found out he got pregnant with his um, – with the daughter. And then in the middle of the night – we find out Trump's closing borders, all of this, blah, blah, blah. And then we have a meeting in the morning and I said, the season's done. But um, yeah, then the GM sort of trying to encourage us, some of us to stay and stuff like that. And like, maybe the season will be on um, because obviously we was in a position, we was in the bottom half of the bottom half, not 
trying to like hopes of making playoffs, uh, trying to finish um, like twelfth or thirteenth or whatever. You can get a wild card spot and join the other doing the top twelve teams. So our club is obviously hoping for that. Um, so you, fingers crossed for the season to go on, but obviously it didn't. I ended up staying there for like an extra 11, 11 12 days in quarantine in Spain, just me and uh, one a couple of the other imports. Um, yeah, crazy time, man. What well, What was your thought process in terms of coming back to England and sort of getting out of getting out of Spain? Well, obviously I wanted to like. Obviously, knee-jerk reaction. I just wanted to get the hell out of there. It wasn't, um, I didn't, you know, didn't love the situation I was in anyway. I couldn't imagine being there just for quarantine. Um, so yeah, obviously, but I wanted to, I wanted to pull the trigger and get out of there. But speaking with my agent, obviously, he's like, well, you know, they can, we can try and get paid if you if you stay there for as long as you do, because this is how it's the problem a lot of us were facing at that time. It's if we leave early we're definitely not getting paid for that month. But if we stay until the club dismisses us, then we have a chance of asking for our money. Um, whether that the club did or not, you're kind of taking a gamble. But if you just leave, one, you're kind of leaving on a bad note. And two, there's no chance you're getting paid. So it's kind of up to you to risk it. I decided to risk it. Um, still chasing my money, obviously. But, <laughs> but um you know, it wasn't too bad of a loss. I got back into the country, no problem. So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that's it, really. What's the? We always hear stories about, um, you know, sort of uh, team uh, players, you know, in Europe, various countries, or whatever, and, and paychecks being withheld for whatever reason, or, or or chasing unpaid money. What's the actual like for you to actually get that money back? Like, what is the process? Like, is it actually a uh, sort of a legal thing that, you know, you're, you're, you're hiring lawyers or you're, or you're going through FIBA or or is it a case of just you contacting the club and being like, look, are you going to pay me? They're telling you they're going to pay you. And then every week or whatever is not coming in. Like, how, what's the actual process for it? Either or, man. I mean, this is my first time doing it. I've never had to chase up money before. A lot. Of, I've figured out a lot of pro life. You just kind of have to learn as you go along. You're not really like handheld for a lot of it. Um, so at the moment, yeah, I had a decent relationship with the GM of the club. So I felt like we're on a level where I could text him and, you know, message him and, you know, be on his case a little bit. But if things got severe and it was a, a severe amount of money, then, yeah, I mean, you can go through the process of getting FIBA involved and they can do all sorts of things by not allowing the club to play the next year until they pay you and such and such. If you wanted to go through that route, but as everything goes, it's a long process and, you got to weigh up whether it's worth the money you're chasing, et cetera, et cetera. And so then uh, you obviously come back to England. Kind of how has your, or how's, the, how's, the, how's the lockdown looked like in England for you like over the last, obviously I know you're not in England right now, but you know when you were here, kind of uh, how did it all end up playing out? And in terms of staying in shape and your own sort of workouts and trying to get access to courts or whatever, like uh, what did you do? It was tough, man. Obviously, like, I mean, personally, as soon as um, this quarantine and lockdown happened, I said to myself, I'm taking a month off. Like, I, I felt like ever since I left college, I kind of been chasing my own tail. And, you know, I could feel I was a little bit spe spent. I didn't really have the same sort of, I didn't get out of bed the same way, you know what I mean? I didn't have the same motivation to work out and all of that. I could feel I was just a little bit spent. So I said to myself, I'm just going to take a month off. But then when I decided to get back into training, obviously, like, I had the same struggles as everyone else. It was, I was in the park the entire summer. I don't think I got into a gym uh, 
until the week I left to come here, really. Like, literally worked out with Creon uh, in his bubble in Surrey, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That was it for me on the on the court. Everything else was outside parks with Ricky and a couple of other kids from Barkin Abbey, doing as much as we can. My own, like, home ghetto gym in the living room, just 10, 10 kg plate, plastic bar, like, yoga mat that that was me for the summer man so it's been a struggle it's been a very very different kind of off season like it has been for everyone do you feel like uh your game has not progressed as it would have done if it was a normal off season and you were doing whatever you would normally do during off season definitely man no question no question and it's a bummer because uh i was that's i was really excited to get back and get back and get back in the gym with ricky to be honest after last season like Last season, I don't think I, I, I improved as much as I wanted to. Uh, maybe even took a couple step, steps back in a couple areas. So I just couldn't wait to get back in the gym. And then for all that to happen, it, it, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, it was really frustrating. But um, we found a way around it. I don't think I, I, I just don't think I made as many gains. We kind of focused on some detail stuff, details and stuff like that because didn't want to do too much impact because obviously we're on the on the concrete and you know that's just awful for your body so we just tried to work on some details in my game that maybe I could have uh you know can look at and without putting too much stress on my on my joints and stuff like that so I didn't maybe didn't improve as much as I wanted to like couldn't get as many shots up like it's hard to get a large enough number of reps up outside when you have the wind to account for like you're just not getting, you're just not getting your mates in that day it's it's difficult so definitely maybe didn't improve as much as I wanted to or had planned to but I don't think it was a wasted summer yeah and just just for context for people that's Ricky Broadmoor he's obviously a, a Barkley yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah during 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 off season like when it comes to the end of the season and kind of you're looking at uh, you've got I don't know however many months off three months off four months off whatever it whatever it might be how do you work out like what your priorities are like is it a case of sitting down, if Ricky's your guy like do you sit down with him look at game tape and say okay you know I felt like this season I was a bit slow on this or you know and this is what I want to focus on like kind of how do you approach uh, that time off to be able to spend time you know not in a team setting where you've got to do what the coach kind of you know the sets and the team stuff but actually focus on your own personal improvement yeah well I think I think about that all before I even see Ricky really like as the season's winding down I kind of think to myself like what do I want to add? What wasn't I great at this season? And then what am I known for? So like things I need to keep consistent and, you know, like when my name's, if, if my name's called to do this, I need to be able to do that job. So come to Ricky with something that maybe I'm not good up, uh, good at. I remember the very first time I started working out with Ricky, it was just like my one-on-one -on -one game. Like I just don't have it. It's not the level it needs to be at if I want to be a, a, a successful pro where do we go from there so come to him with that then something that i'm already good at um would be like okay i'm a three-point shooter but i need to be a knockdown three-point shooter so that's then just like getting reps up and then uh so the other thing i said oh yeah and then something i didn't do too well so it might be something i already have which would be like in the past um like a certain move that maybe i haven't didn't do in didn't do in the season as much like okay well, well well let's keep working on that why why didn't you do that in the game as often like what's the reason just things like that so yeah i think about that before i even see him and then like me and ricky spend a lot of time together so it's something we're always talking about really anytime any time of day any time of week so as this off season started coming to a close and you're kind of looking to this season that we're in now 
Um, how were you weighing up your options? You know, obviously, you know, you spent essentially since you you turned pro, you spent time between Spain and and, and the BBL. Um, kind of, what was your thought making process about kind of where you were going to play this season? Was it very much like you know I want to be abroad, I want to be overseas, or I'm going to just take the best offer financially wherever it is? Like, kind of, how did you weigh that up and uh, and obviously and then come to the decision that you're going to sign in Spain? Well. It was more so I this the club I'm at now, uh, Ponferrada. Uh, they offered me last season, and again he he's um he's very good friends with Ricky and Luis Luis Gill if you remember Luis. So and um yeah so the, our coach David had been talking to Ricky about me playing there last season and for for other for whatever reason i didn't end up signing signing here last season so i always had it in my mind like this is where i was going to sign if i was going to sign anywhere this season I, I was coming here just because i felt like i could trust david in get me back to where i needed to be mentally um he was going to i was going to be in a place where i was going to be confident again in my game i don't i feel like i necessarily haven't been in the best settings for me to excel and i think i needed to be in a situation where i could just sort of like just get 100% confidence back in my game and yeah, have a chance to grow properly as a player. So to be honest, this was the only place I was going to sign if I was going to sign abroad. If you know, if I hadn't or they didn't meet the, the minimum money requirement because they couldn't have, I probably wouldn't have signed in Spain. I probably would have looked elsewhere. But no, I had from I always planned to sign here. To be honest. When you say you know you you wanting to be in the right settings to be able to excel, like like what are those settings? Uh, and yeah, like why do you feel that you you weren't getting whatever it was that you needed before? Well, when I first came to Spain, my initial move when I uh, signed with uh, Yeda, it was a situation that well, it wasn't the situation that I anticipated. So it just went back to like i didn't play a lot in college like naturally as a freshman and then even as a soft sophomore i just lacked minutes so then getting all the getting all of that like the what's the, the getting the feeling back of playing five on five again after sitting on the bench for so long after college being at surrey getting that confidence back and then going to yada and then sitting the bench again kind of brings those back and then last season again it was i wasn't i wasn't necessarily utilized i felt like just again being used as someone who's just going to hit threes get rebounds when i personally feel there's so much more to my game than that um it wasn't until late in the season where i started being given more ball handling responsibilities so i felt like this was a system where like i'm going to be given those opportunities it's a part of, it's a part of uh, my game that i have i'm going to be trusted a lot more to help run our team and you know just be a bit more of a leader makes sense so yeah when uh like when you're talking about kind of like making that uh the sort of the what i was gonna say is like obviously the route was we're gonna go back to the beginnings and kind of go through that the sort of the early days obviously in england and then, and, then, and then going to college but kind of the start to your pro career was quite abrupt you know obviously you left college early uh yeah that transition to being a professional almost after, like you're saying, not getting a lot of time and sort of having to readjust to playing, how difficult uh, was that? And and when you look at your 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 pro career now, do you feel like um, it's progressed as you envisioned it going? For sure, maybe no, maybe I, um, no. I can't say 
Yeah, entirely, because I didn't necessarily always have the plan to start this early. You know? Well, that's, like, the, that's, that's the thing. Just, to, just Sorry to cut you real quick. But I, was just th- I was thinking, just before we start recording this, was obviously uh, you played with Aquazi, your same year born as Aquazi, and he's just going into his rookie year now after after finishing. And you just think, wow, that's mad. Like, obviously now you're, what, three, four years deep into your pro career, um, yeah, and he's going into his rookie year now, and you're, you're the same age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, it wasn't necessarily my intentions, but obviously life does its thing and you know um we are where we are now and i'm definitely i'm glad it worked out this way but i am obviously envision going college for four years um so i don't know if i necessarily had like a like a set sort of a direction for where my career should be now necessarily obviously i have an idea but i think i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be um Sorry, I've got lost. Can you repeat the question? What was your well, just just about just just about the fact that you know, like, just about the fact that because you you left college, you turned pro earlier than you yeah. envisioned. Like that transition, how difficult it is, kind of like I guess being thrown at the deep end and and that sort of progression of of your career in a way that maybe you hadn't originally envisioned because you left college early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I got lost. Um, yeah, it was difficult, man. I remember when I came back from college and then played in um. GB under 20s, I remember that like the anxiety was high, man. I remember the first game we played, I remember airballing and a free throw just literally because I was shaking so much. So, like, yeah, 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 swear to God, man. Um, so, like, getting all of that, that sort of like, um, all of that anxiety out, um, all that performance anxiety out and stuff like that, obviously, that was an adjustment, but, um, I genuinely, I genuinely believe, man, like, I don't know, call it arrogance or whatever, I genuinely believe that if I'm given the right, correct opportunity and put in a situation, like I can make something shake. So it wasn't, it was an adjustment of me just sort of like feeling comfortable on the court again. But, you know, I'm really, really grateful for coach Creon for uh, at Surrey for um, give me plenty of minutes playing my foot rookie year, because if I had started my pro career with not playing so much again, I, I definitely wouldn't be here now. Like it would have just been a continuation of me in college. And then, you know, who knows, I wouldn't even be presented with this kind of opportunity. So I think going back into situations where I'm playing a lot and getting that feeling back again was really, really helpful. So, yeah, it was a difficult transition at first, but I think being in situations that allowed me to uh, allow me to play really helped. When you uh, sort of went through that transition, were there times at all where you thought, I don't know if I want to do this anymore and you considered whether or not basketball was the was the right path for you or was it has it very much been set in your mind like actually I love this game the professional career is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to pursue until I feel otherwise Yeah I mean obviously I'd be lying if it, if I said I never ever had ever had doubts like that would be crazy but no like this is what I want to do full time as uh I believe this is what I was uh, put on this earth to do that's what I know to do I, I love this game I love this game everything everything about it I enjoy playing it I enjoy learning um yeah I don't envision myself getting a job or a regular job nothing wrong with it I just don't I don't particularly enjoy that enjoy that setting so yeah no this is 100% what I want to do so I'm I'm so happy that I'm able to do it now still yeah, how do you compare? Like one of the questions I wanted to ask. Obviously, you originally signed in Lev Gold when 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 you left Surrey, uh, and then now you're in Lev Silver, and obviously you've played extensively in the BBL. 
when you're talking about the levels, and it's a conversation that is had, you know, all the time about kind of like where does the BBL sit in in comparison to the rest of Europe? And obviously, as someone who's in it right now, and this has the the mm. comparison like very recently, it's not a case of oh, you know, you played in the BBL three years ago or whatever, and now you've been in Europe or, yeah. or whatever it might be. Like, um, where would you say it sits? Uh, let's let's leave the off the court stuff. Let's just focus on the on the court stuff, the the, the, the actual level of basketball. Uh how would you compare the different levels and, and where would you say uh yeah, well where would you say the BBL sits in in amongst them? Yeah, I feel um I feel like the BBL is definitely a step it's a step above Le Plata here. Um based on there's like, there's some bet there's there's good players in both leagues for sure, for sure. But I think the BBL is much more athletic and like across the board, across the board, and that like instantly makes it a tougher league just because you have a better defenders and you know you can't you know. But um, I think the the thing that maybe doesn't it's not quite at the level of Leb uh, as Leb Gold is Leb Gold's fast man, and it's not it's not just fast like it's really structured, um, really structured. Whereas the BBL is obviously a bit more a bit more open and a bit uh, a bit more up and down like. Not necessarily that's a bad thing, but these guys are like coming off of staggers at bullet bullet speed. I mean, it's a very it's a very tough league, man. I remember watching my watching my first game when I got there, and yeah, it was it's a level that I personally I'd never stepped on the court and been on that level before. Do you know what I mean? Like I really noticed the difference. Um, so I think it sits somewhere in between Leb Leb uh, Leb Platter and Aura. If you were to put uh, a top BBL club in in Leb Gold. How do you think they would do? I think they could come away with a couple wins for sure. I think they could definitely come away with a couple wins. That's I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Like I said, there's 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 a lot of talent in the BBL. I think that, that get that can get overlooked. Um, yeah, there's because at the same time you got to remember there's there's teams in the gold that, that are just coming up from silver and that you know they're trying to get they're they're trying to get they're trying to get going as well. So they definitely definitely uh, take care of those teams. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, maybe about mid table, mid lower table, something like that. I don't think it's crazy to say that. Interesting. And then what? What about off the court, like organ organizationally, front office staff, you know, uh, salaries, uh, how you're looked after, player houses, all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, what would you say about that in terms of comparing them? It's a bit of a toss up, man. Um, just comparing where I was at last year and where I'm at this year, you wouldn't think they were the same league at all there's so much much more professional here um compared to where i was at before but that's that's just across the league man it's a bit of a toss-up and it's one of them things you don't necessarily know until you get there so it's hard to say across the league across the board like this league is more professional than this league i would say it's the same with gold i think gold's obviously more more professional across the board than silver but um there's some club, but there's some clubs in the BBL that are far more professional than some clubs in Lib Silver, like by a long shot. So yeah. it's, it's kind of hard to compare, you know. It's kind of hard to compare. And I was, I was going to say, I watched your, I watched your vlog. Obviously, you know, you've been started getting active on on, on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's a few guys now actually. There's a few British guys that are on YouTube. Also, obviously, Evan Evan Walsh set up his channel yesterday. Obviously, Moses is doing his thing yeah. in Germany. Moses Bikewise is doing his thing in Germany as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched your vlog, and uh, yeah, like it, it's it's. I found there was a couple of things that, that you said. Well, one was obviously you, you thought that how well they feed you. Like you like the food is just so good here. Like you're really pleased with kind of like that. Um, yeah. 
and then watching the stuff you're doing for preseason, uh, like kayaking down a river and stuff, and and then and then also like um, <laughs> you doing a yoga class. I was just like, ah, oh, this is this is kind of cool. Like, kind of what what we yeah. say about the setup and how is how has preseason been in terms of like just for you settling in and and sort of learning, you know, how how this club does it. Yeah, I mean, this has honestly been the toughest preseason for me, just because of just because of how inactive it was in the off season. You know, I'm not, again not training as much as usual, so my body just wasn't used to it. Like we came in right away with it, man. Like right away with it, right away with the two a days. So my body was feeling it the first three weeks, like just not recovering the same, and muscles are hurting that haven't hurt for a long time. Like my back started playing up again, and yeah, so. Um, it was a difficult preseason, but yeah, the kayaking thing was unusual. I'd never, never done that for any kind of preseason before, but it was fun. You know, it was good. It was a workout as well, man. It was real workout. Um, yeah, didn't expect. Well, I didn't expect to be going for like four hours. That's the thing. Like, we kept asking like how much longer, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going down that like it was really, really scenic at first, and then we just hit this big mass of water, and the guys like, yeah, yeah, see you at the end, and man, it just went on forever. But um. Yeah, it's been a good preseason and settling in here is like, despite Corona, like we've got our own protocols and and stuff like that. So I feel generally safe here, but it's just been tough just like getting my body back to sort of where I'm comfortable with being at, you know, and then exceeding that as well. Like, because I'm not just trying to be where I was at last year or in March. Like, I feel like I'm only just getting to where I was at in March. I'm now trying to trying yeah. to get even better than that, you know, so yeah, that's 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 been a real challenge. Have you played any uh, preseason games? I mean, we're in the season now. We've got You're a, actually in a the season. third game tomorrow. And like yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of cancellation stuff, obviously we, we had uh, we had a game tonight. Obviously, Eagles cancelled because they had a um, a positive test. And then obviously in Division One, we've had eight nine games that have been cancelled through through the trophy so far because of people having to self isolate and stuff. Kind of how yeah. how is the league handling it? Uh, have you had games cancelled? Like, do you feel like the 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 season is going to be able to go through on schedule? Like, kind of, what's your gut feel about it all? Um, well, we've already had like games cancelled like really? throughout the league. Obviously, we haven't have in our group chat like every time like a team posts on Twitter that so uh, that they've got COVID cases. Like, it comes up on Twitter. So the the federation have in place um, that you have to get tested at least 72 hours before every game so it all comes out during the week about who's playing and who's not so we got tested two days ago and we were all negatives um but danny evans danny evans team just got came back with four positives so they've all got like self-isolate for 10 days so they won't be playing this weekend and where we've played three games they've already had two games cancelled so i don't know man it's going to be interesting i'm honestly like it's just it my gut feeling is I don't really know and I hate to sound pessimistic about it I don't really know how how many leagues unless like you know they got they're heavily funded are going to find a way to really really combat this without having like massive scheduling problems do you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. we have a couple cancellations here a couple cancellations there suddenly you know there's three four teams with like I don't know, six games to catch up or whatever. And I don't know, the season's going later and later. Like, And some teams don't have the, the money to go on for that long and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's all very, very up in the air. Very uh, all, up in the all, air. All your games closed doors as well? No, we have fans. What, full, 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 full capacity. Oh, yeah, limited yeah, capacity. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
limited capacity yeah 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 wow yeah man what what a crazy situation um yeah. all right let's 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 rewind back to the start let's uh let's get into the history stuff um starting with kind of like your 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 early exposure to the game like obviously i i saw you as a 13 14 year old young buck um mm-hmm. but even you know going before that like kind of what was it that that first made you uh start playing basketball um and pick up that ball uh i just wanted to do something different i was always a really really sporty kid did all sorts of things like athletics and uh dance boxing like literally whatever you could put me in anything you know i'd enjoy doing it like obviously typical english kid i played a little bit of football but i never it never really it was just never a sport that really took to me like i didn't enjoy it like that so i wanted to do something different and um Lord knows how like my dad came across it, but he just like ended up finding a club in Harlow, which, where I'm from, like Harlow Hawks. Obviously, got me plugged in there with um, with Shab Niaz, and I was good at it, man. That's why I stuck with it. Then really, that's the main reason I was good at it. Like I guess because I was more athletic than and taller than other kids at the time. So yeah, I stuck with it, and then yeah, just fell in love with the culture and all of that stuff, all of that stuff that came along with it. How how old were you when you first started playing? Nine. Oh, you were nine. So you're just relatively young, I feel like, compared to a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pick it up as late as most people. Yeah, yeah I've been playing for a little bit. So the decision to go to, to Barking Abbey, uh, you know, whereas most guys um, obviously end up going to a, a, a college for the for their post-16 education for, the, for, that, for those two years, obviously Barking Abbey, uh, you know, they have a lot of guys that will come in at, at a younger age and you ended up going through the, the entire thing, right? Like, was that, a, was that a conscious basketball choice at that age? Yeah, 100%, 100%. Obviously, um, met Lloyd Gardner at a basketball camp in the summer. He approached me. He was like, yep, yeah, I'm at Barking Abbey. Da, 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 so the basketball academy and I'm all about basketball at that time. Anything basketball, I'm there. So, yeah, me and my dad looked at each other. It's like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, I was just at some regular school. I was at Leaventhorpe, at Leaventhorpe School in Hertfordshire, man. And there's, there, we didn't even have a basketball team. You know what I mean? It's like I'm like I stick out like a sore thumb. Like I'm one, I'm one of five, one of five mixed uh, black kids at, at, at a school. I, I play basketball. Like you know what I mean? Like I stick out. So when then then some guy comes to me, oh, there's a basketball academy. So I'm like, yeah, I'm there, man. Like I'm done with this. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent, a conscious decision and basketball was something that whatever to be fair whatever i did like even athletics i remember there was a point where i wanted to run in the olympics like whatever i did i wanted to be the best or at least like be on a professional level with that so going to a basketball academy seemed like the next logical step for me as a kid so you fully you fully knew even at that age it's like this is what i want to do and this is what i'm gonna pursue yeah wow yeah 100 percent. and then at what point did you realize that you were better than most players your age group uh, from 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 Harlow, man. Just, really? Yeah. From from back then. I mean, I played up since then. Honestly, wow. I remember. I remember being like, I might be skewing the ages a little bit, but I, it just as I was an under eleven playing up with under thirteens, and then under thirteens playing up with the under eighteens. Like I was just always playing up. So like, I remember oh, I was always playing with the older kids as well. Anyway, man. Like, I, I, you might not know any of these names. These are like, like old school like Hertfordshire basketball names but like Alex Hines or anything like that I was with uh, Mike Kumas and like dudes like that like I was always playing with the older kids at the park and stuff like that so if I'm playing with them and I'm holding my own like I've like yeah I just figured out I had a knack for it 
Yeah, well, and this is the thing, right? So then by by I think it was 2014. Uh, obviously at that at that point, Barkenabi had partnered uh, with uh, London Leopards. But it was BA London Leopards, right, in Division One. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so you were starting for that team. Uh, in I remember the the playoff final in Manchester. So you were 14 at that point, uh, starting for yeah. a, for a men's Division yeah, One yeah, team. Yeah. And the the coach. Dayham was the coach back then, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's obviously, you know, now he's. Was he, was he coaching in Poland last, I think? Like, professional league in Poland? Yeah, or? last I heard he was in Poland. I don't know if he's there this season, but last I heard, yeah. So he, he's, he's obviously done pretty well, a high-level coach. Like, how how do you think, sort of, you were nurtured, you know, as at a young age, you know, when you're talking about being... A, like, it's, it's tough. You're playing with a men's side and you're 14. In a minibus, you're sitting there with a bunch of men, do you know what I mean? Like, and you're a 14-year-old yeah. kid. Like, kind of how difficult was that? But also, conversely... Um, you know, when you talk about your development, how much did it uh, accelerate, advance, allow you to um, develop as a basketball player? Well, like basically, Deja never like he never gave he never let me get off uh, easy, man, at all. Remember him telling me like you're the youngest, like you're supposed to be working the hardest in the gym, like you know what I mean? you know what I mean, like there's there's no reason for that anytime we're running you need to be first like you need to have the most fight like you, you got scrapped for every rebound you're the youngest there's nothing nothing's going to be given to you here so he was always really really hard on me in individuals in practice in everything man he, he'd never always be on my back so that for one that obviously taught me a good bit about work ethic and then being around pros and seeing how they work and stuff like that that obviously i you know i see how they approach their day-to-day and we was in a situation at Barking Abbey where the pros would come in during our individuals and stuff like that. So they get their work in during the day and I see them at practice and stuff. And then again, just then the actual tactical, but the tactical side of basketball, just learning that little bit extra that you don't really like pick up during junior basketball where it's a bit more, I don't know, like just younger and running around and stuff like that. Like, well, they're just, you know, kids are running up and down in transition. I'm learning how to slip through screens and use, use, come off a down screen and rescreen and all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, I think mainly just from an IQ point, I think that's where it helped out the most, just actually learning the game. Did you, did you feel like when you went into, cause you know, you represent national teams, 16s, 18s, 20s, do you feel like when you went into those environments with, uh, you know, your peers, so to speak, did you feel like your basketball IQ was a lot higher? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just just only in, only in the sense that there are just certain things that maybe like, in there would be if we run in sets and offenses, I knew where I could score just because of reads and stuff like that. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, we're running. I don't know a double stagger, and I know if they're going to switch early, I know to 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 slip and cut the after the first stagger, not the second. Of just things like that, and it would just help me out, maybe keep up. But uh, to be honest, I never really thought at that age I was much of like an offensive player, especially not at my age group. That's never why I thought I made national teams like at all. So maybe like I knew it, but it's not necessarily like I was implementing it absolutely and dominating at camp. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, it's funny. I feel like you. As a junior, it was like you you were it was clear in some environments it was clear that you were at a level higher than a lot of your peers, you want to call it that, a lot of especially when you know when you're playing junior basketball, EABL, whatever you want to say. Um But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like a 
a domination the same way you see a lot of other junior players do. If you yeah. know what I mean, you, I, I don't, I don't want to say system player because some people might see it wrong. But you no, know what I mean? It's... No, 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 hundred percent. This is what exactly what I said earlier. So I had to go to Ricky one summer and say, look, I need a one-on-one game if I'm going to make money doing this this thing. You know, I didn't finish college. I don't have the luxury of a college resume to like slip me into a high into our into a high level league, and I can just go make money. Like, I have to get out from the bottom leagues, and the only reason, the only way you get out of the bottom leagues is putting numbers on the board, man. Unfortunately, like an agent told me that, like you can do all that team basketball stuff once you get there, but like to get out of there, it, it's a fight and. It's a part of my game. I didn't. That was. It's not like I didn't have it, but to actually excel, no, it was nowhere near the level. So, a hundred percent, was definitely a more of a much more of a system player. Do you, Do you feel like if if you were to go back, uh, sort of with the knowledge that you have now as a junior, do you think that is something that you would change in terms of your own focus and uh, when you're talking about your, what you would work on and stuff like, and then maybe even potentially trying to put yourself in game settings where. Uh, you are forced to um, perhaps dominate in a more overt way, uh, scoring the ball. For sure, I think yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I definitely think not that I don't. I'm not glad I played so much, um, so much men's basketball early on. Like I pretty much don't have a junior national team career. I think I played like two years of junior national team, maybe. So definitely would have think yeah, going back. I mean junior national a league. Few more years. Hmm, sorry, you mean national league, not national team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. National league, national league. Um, so yeah, definitely. Maybe a few more years there would have been better, just because I would have learned that skill. I would have been required to, you know, go and score, go and score twenty, thirty points one game. Whereas, like, that hasn't really happened very often in my career. I've never really been asked to. It's not a situation I've been in a, a ton of times. Even at Barking, where like, okay, I'm one of the main players, but like at the same time, I have like, you know, seven or eight players who are also like, especially my team, or seven like nine division one guys like i don't need to score that many so like i've just been in situations where i don't need to be that kind of player so for sure i think it would have maybe you know helped me out a lot now yeah like when uh that group that you had in 2014-15 when when i look back on uh any i don't know whether, whether regret is the right word but things that i uh regret not filming or not being there was obviously that 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 final four playoffs uh i was living in st lucia at the time uh, for for three four months and i'd booked i thought that i'd booked the flight back to be back for that weekend um so that i could be there because obviously i I had a quite close affinity with that group like i spent a lot of time with you guys filming a lot of your games and stuff um and it was just like yeah like i need to make sure that i'm back for for that weekend and then it, it was only as it started approaching i realized i completely messed it up and i was gonna miss it and, you know, and even now when I think back to it, the fact that I only have the memories of, there wasn't even a stream, I don't think. Like, so it's like my memories of it are basically, mm. you know, seeing stuff on social media, uh, seeing obviously photos and, and just feeling like I missed out on a massive part of a, a part of a big part of kind of all of your guys' journeys. Um, yeah, it was massive, man. Yeah. When you think about yeah. that, that uh, so, so so essentially, just for context for people, 2015, Kent Crusaders, which was the the the, the national league club that Barking Abbey linked with uh, in Division One. You know, you guys, it was you were all juniors apart from Tolu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy over 19. So yeah, one guy over 19, uh, and essentially you won the Division One playoff title, uh, and you kind of nickname it a comeback kids because you you had these impressive comebacks in in various games where it looked like you were down and out um 
But when you talk about that season and talk about that title, uh, you know, what did it mean? And I guess what are your sort of uh, memories from it? Just fond ones, man. Like, yeah. Um, that was one of, the fav- one of my favourite teams I've ever been on just because, again, like the amount of games that looked like we were down and out and then to come back and win, like they're always the best ones, man. You know what I mean? Like those kind of comebacks, like they don't happen often. And then to have a year that was just like full of them, absolutely full of them all the way up until final fours. I think even like the game against Leopards, like we did a comeback then. Like, so like it was an exciting season. I think one of my best seasons personally, uh, like, yeah, every, I thought it was just like one of them, one of them teams where I don't know, everyone was just like, on form all season I felt like personally man I just like it's it's awesome to be on a kind of team like that where you can rely on every single one of your teammates everybody's uh, everybody's filling their role perfectly and like you know it was just yeah it was a great way to end my Barkin Abbey career you know to be there for so long and then to finish like that like it was it was awesome for me when we uh, again just I guess for context people can you go through some of the, the the other names that are on that team and obviously who went on to do what where uh, so obviously we got Kwasi Yaboa, who's now he's got his he's in his rookie season in um, second division France. Uh, Calvin Kintu, who's still out in college in the states. Uh, Nathan Smith, um, Carlos Kondratas, obviously Tola, who he's he was playing in China. He might actually I don't know about now since Corona or since the Corona situation, but last season he was still out in China playing. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Origa. Yeah. Who else, who else, who else, who else, I'm definitely doing a disservice to some people right now. But it was a small team as well. That's the thing. If somebody didn't show up for practice, we had nine. Like, who was a small team? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah, it, it, it was crazy. And it was historic. And I, I, I always think, like, you know, when, when people talk, obviously, you know, in the years since Bark and Abbey have had some tough years in Division 1 where, uh, you know, have been kind of fighting off, off relegation or whatever and you'll hear people be like, oh, you know, these juniors or whatever, you can't be having sort of development programs in Division 1 and stuff like that. But actually, you know, it's proof that if you have the right group and the right chemistry and the right team, like, there's no reason why why they can't and that, uh, there should be, I personally think there should be spots for, um, you know, development programs, academy teams, whatever you want to call it in Division 1 meant to sort of, I think it, it it does a massive service to you guys in terms of preparing you for the next for the next level. You know, um, I guess when it when it came to uh, make, in fact, actually before before we do that, when you look back on your time at Barking Abbey uh, and the standout memories outside of outside of that 2015 playoff title, uh, what are the other ones that that stick out? Winning with. Um... With Dejan that year, um, with the Leopards, because that was another. We lost three games that year, so yeah, it was uh, just a, uh, a great way to finish the season. Just like only losing three games, winning all th- winning all the silverware that you could possibly win, like that was awesome. Bus ride back was super fun. Um, obviously, winning the first EABL title, the first actual EABL title. You know what I mean? That was a great one because it was a good game as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of my favourite wins for sure, for sure. That, that that was amazing because obviously that that was the first season of the ABL and uh, it was like, you know, in terms of turning around the competition and sort of rebranding it and making it this thing that sort of became a like bit more relevant. Uh, yeah. And then coming to the to the final fours, 
it was like weird set the stage and then that's all you can do and then the rest is on is on the game right and it's like and then the games were just yeah. so good that it was just like this is yeah. just perfect like it's just worked out so perfectly yeah, and then to, agree, you know Thank and then for, for the way that you guys celebrated uh you know and the dancing and the, the 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 water and everything else it was just like you could just see that how much it meant to guys do you know what i mean it actually yeah. meant something which i don't think it ever had before in the same way you know yeah no that's what i mean like just because it's a similar group of guys mine min, uh you know minus a couple that graduated uh, graduated that year but like it was just a really close group man really really close group the other one I thought you might bring up, which you didn't, was uh, City of Palms Classic and, and the trips in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I haven't forgot about that. But, yeah, City of Palms for sure. That was that was awesome. That, that, that uh, was. I think I would say to people to go and check out the documentary. It's the only real feature legs documentary I've ever done, which is, two, which is yeah, from 2014, I think it was. Um, which 45 minutes kind of chronicling that story where you can see a fresh-faced Josh uh, and his team. And they obviously you did some good things out there. And it was... Um, a pretty, I think, eye-opening experience for everybody involved. Uh, it's a great doc, honestly, man. You did a good job with that. Oh, did took, a good it, job telling the story. It, it took me so long. It took me so long. <laughs> Can imagine, um, man. But yeah, no. I remember man. I was sitting in Frank's room watching it when you released it. Oh, really? <laughs> he had it on his, yeah, yeah, he had it up on his projector, man. <laughs> he was all sat there on the floor watching it. Yeah, that's uh, sick. That's hilarious. So, so when it comes to... Um, Going to the states again, you know, you you didn't do uh you didn't do a year in high school or prep school or anything like that. It was you, you made the jump direct. Kind of when when did the schools come knocking in terms of your recruitment? Um, and and who were the schools? And then I guess how how were you weighing up uh where to go, the pros and cons of each place, and and then ultimately why did you decide to go to Duquesne? Um, so I had school interest from. It's hard to say when, but like obviously we have a lot of coaches come in and out of Barking Abbey like consistently. So obviously like while I'm practicing with the guys and I'm playing up and stuff like that, obviously they come to watch certain guys practice and they see me and like so there's obviously coaches keeping tabs on me and stuff like that. So maybe around like year when I was in year ten and you know we've got Division Four practice or whatever and they've come to see one of the sixth form guys. I remember someone from JMU. Uh, the coach from JMU at the time, like, obviously, um, he was interested in me. So he talks to Lloyd, he talks to me, and, like, obviously, we'll talk more the older you get. So it's always been stuff like that. So I've had schools sort of, like, come and go and some interest from bigger schools, but, like, interests, not offer, like, Marquette and, like, um, South Carolina and just stuff like stuff like that, like, but nothing solid. Um, but one that stayed consistent throughout was Davidson. Uh, Davidson recruited me like heavily from as long as I can remember at Barking Abbey to be honest um, and I had all the intentions to go there really all the intentions right up until I don't know maybe last week of signing period I was going to go to Davidson but the the thing that stopped it I, um, it's, it's quite annoying and seems silly now but I'm sorry man did we going to have to cut this yeah. Yo. thank you bro sorry I couldn't go to lunch, so he brought me my lunch. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I was going to go to Davidson, but um, I remember Lloyd bringing me into the office one time, and he just got off the phone with the coaches at Davidson. And basically, it's a private school, so obviously they, they set their own standards of, you know, how they bring people in or whatnot. And um, one of the requirements was to have a language qualification, which I didn't have because I didn't take a language or anything. So... You know, I'm left with the option like 
do I want to stay here another year? Do I want to go to prep school and then wait and take wow. it and go Davidson? Blah, blah, blah. But admittedly, man, like I'm a little, I'm a little in my head anyway. Like I'm just, I'm a bit arrogant. Like I'm not going to prep school. Like I need to be, I'm done here. I've been in Barcano for too long. I'm not trying to do another year here. I'm not trying to go prep school. I'm trying to go division one. So, you know, with that on the table, like shortly after that, Duquesne come to practice and you know they pretty much offer me on the spot there and like we arranged to do the visits but again man like if I could tell 18 year old Josh like just just sit out a year and go to the school you want to go to not not the don't worry about the conferences in because in my head I'm like well again doesn't matter what system I'm in necessarily like wherever you put me like I'm going to work hard I'm going to do this I'm going to do that like and I'll be successful wherever I go it's not necessarily always the case so I just I signed to Duquesne because it was in the A10. It's the same conference as Davidson, exactly. So where I'm going from a school which recruited me from a very, very young age, uh, has experience with coaching international players and that kind of style of play to a coach that has only recently just been recruiting me and I'm pretty much the first international player that they've had. Like you can count there, yeah, they've had Obi Soko and Kieran Achara, but like Obi was in high school and Kieran was a seven footer. They're completely different. So it wasn't necessarily a situation I, 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 uh, I thrived in over there. So yeah. Um, but yeah, look, obviously looking back now, I would make now, obviously hindsight's 2020, I would have made a different decision, but at the time that's what happened. Wow. I didn't, I didn't even know that. Um, I do remember it. I do remember during the recruiting process, having a, having a chat with you. I, th- I think we were, it was after practice or something. And, and, uh, and you were basically, you just said, like, it's a bit intense. Do you know what I mean? Like, just coaches are just on your yeah. case all the time. And you're just yeah. like, ah, oh, it's a bit much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of would prefer to just be left alone a little. I think, I think it was maybe because a coach had called and you had to have a phone call with them after practice or something like that. Like, how, how, you know, yeah. how did you find that whole sort of, uh, just the process of being courted by schools? Yeah, I mean, I didn't enjoy it just because, I don't know. It's just a lot of attention. I'm not necessarily, uh, I'm, especially then when I was a lot younger, I'm not necessarily a guy that kind of like wants a lot of attention. So just having people just like constantly like messaging you, just like in the sense of like selling you stuff, you know what I mean? And, and like at the end of the day, like a, a lot of being a college coach, the job is being a salesman and just having people just like constantly on your line and stuff like that. And their intentions are here and there and whatnot. It, it's just a difficult thing to navigate. And it is a little bit intense. Um, do you feel like it's fake? Well, sorry? Do you feel like it's fake? Like, can you, are you just like, well, the only reason you're talking to me is because, like, you want me to play basketball for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, to be, to be brutally honest, and don't get me wrong, like, again, it's not a sweeping statement. There are definitely coaches that will recruit players with the, with the holist intentions and all of that stuff. But at the same time, they're trying to get you to their program. Yeah. Like, they'll say whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they'll, yeah. they'll, whatever gets you signed, like, they'll say it. Do you, do you feel like, uh, like when you signed with Duquesne, like kind of what they, what what the coaching staff said to you about kind of your role there, how they envisioned it playing out, especially in your freshman year, uh, and then compared to obviously how it panned out, um, because it, I mean I don't even know, like yeah, what, what yeah, how was it? Before, well, before I signed initially, obviously I asked the questions that need to be asked, and they they say okay, we have a senior right now that uh, we have a senior right now at the three spot, which we you know we see you playing behind him, he you know he comes in, basically having the ball in your hand, penetrating, kicking, which is something that I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very good at, knock down shots and play a decent amount of minutes. 
in my freshman year. So I hear that and that's kind of enough for me. And then when I get there, that doesn't last very long. Like not as soon as we get into maybe the maybe the sixth, seventh game, something like that. Like yeah, yeah. Eventually that freshman, that I just get treated like a freshman. I'm just put to the bench really. Like I remember, I just used to get brought on to make threes. I, I literally remember a couple of games where I got subbed in and hit a three and got subbed right back out and just sat there and like I'm obviously sitting there and. He's playing guy, older guys over me, guys that he wants out of the program, actually, like guys that he's trying to get flushed out of the program. And like he, they, he's playing that, that, you know, guys like that over me and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I don't really have any answers for it. Let's put it that way. Like there's, for me personally, there's no there's no reason. You know, I didn't even feel like I got a, a necessarily a, a proper chance to uh, really like get my feet wet as a freshman do you know what I mean like yeah. obviously you come in right away and there's sort of like nerves or whatever or it's a new situation or this and that and then like just to be sort of just like put to the bench and just like okay not ready or sort of thing and just like even if I had a good game whereas like they'd obviously like not play a few games but like there was one game I played and I had like 10 points in the first half then the next game like I'm not seeing the floor at all it's just just stuff like that mind games like that that kind of just like threw me off and yeah, so completely different to the pitch that I heard at the beginning to the reality of the season, especially once you get into once you get into conference time when winning becomes the, the sole goal. Did you like if you had a conversation with the coaching staff and kind of said, look, like you know, when you're recruiting me, you said kind of this is how it was going to be, and that's not working out. Like, if you did you did you try and have those conversations? If you had those conversations, like, what was the response? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I did definitely have those conversations, especially with assistants. But I mean, like mainly, mainly the assistants. And I had a lot of assistants on my side, to be honest, a lot of assistants telling me that, no, like, we're obviously pushing for you. Like, we obviously think you should be playing a lot more than you are right now, et cetera, et cetera. But like, yeah, I don't know if our coach was 100% being an open book about necessarily why I wasn't playing it was just like oh he just needs to be tougher he just needs to be you know like not soft which is the the again like going back to like the never not really dealing with European players before one example is all right so like we're all taught on this side of the pond like you know you can throw one-handed passes and stuff like that every time I threw a one-handed pass I was on the baseline running like no strictly chest passes like one-handed passes are turnovers so I've been taught something my entire life and I'm playing a certain way and you've recruited me here to play like that, which is again, like I'm trying to try and be aggressive and get in the paint and I'm just being told, no, run the play. No, do this. Like, no, you, you stand there and shoot kind of thing. Like it just wasn't, it, like I said, it, it was completely different to what I was told. And then my answers are just like, oh, you just need to be, you just need to be tougher. You just need to be this. And I just felt like I was just being not really given straight answers to be honest. How did that affect you mentally? Uh, a lot, man. Obviously, because I come in with hopes and aspirations and it's kind of just like felt like it's not really in my control. Like, no matter, like, okay, it doesn't matter if I have a good practice. I'm not going to play next game anyway. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how hard I work. I'm not going to play anyway. Like, it doesn't matter if I have a good game. I'm not going to play anyway. So that it, it, it takes a toll on you mentally. Uh Obviously, naturally, you question yourself a little bit, and then when you do get a chance to get on the court, all that sort of like you hear the coach in the back of your head anytime you put the ball on the floor, you're hesitant and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, man, it messes you up. Where you play free, where you once play freely, you constantly play with the feeling of a coach always on your shoulder telling you not to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, and anytime I don't know, or I'm gonna get subbed out anytime soon anyway. Like, yeah, it's it's not fun, but it's one of those things I feel like a lot of players, a lot of players do eventually go through. No matter how hard it, it it was that that freshman year, you obviously still decided to go back for your sophomore year. Like, what what made you decide to return and not just cut out at that point? You should be like, oh, I'm transferring. Well, I don't think you should do necessarily just like, especially freshman man. There's like not all, not a lot of freshman play really. That's the reality, or at least it's what they tell you in there. Like, you go to a good enough school, you go to a good enough school or whatever. Like, the reality is, as a freshman, you won't always play. So, anyway. Obviously, you have these. I have these conversations with coaches at the end of the season and stuff like that. Like, okay, like I remember they didn't. They didn't let me go home for the summer, man. I came home for three weeks in the summer. They kept me there on campus by myself doing workouts and stuff like that. Um, so obviously, they hadn't had. Well, from my indication, they had intentions of me playing next season. Um, so I'm like, I had the intention to transfer after that year. Now I remember me and like the freshman I came in with, we was like, yep, we're just going to have a good as year possible because I couldn't transfer with the stats I had last season anyway. I wouldn't have gone to any sort of school. Um, so we was just looked at each other, just like, okay, we're going to get the best stats we can possible and uh, try and transfer, go to, go to somewhere where we feel a bit more comfortable. So that was my intention going into sophomore year. That's why I came back. Wow. And of course, like ultimately you, you did end up leaving. Like, you yeah. know, what are the circumstances around around you leaving? Like, kind of, how did that happen? What happened? Well, a lot of it, a, a big part of it, like, there's a lot of reasons, really. There's a lot of reasons, a, a multitude of reasons, of on-the-court reasons and off-the-court reasons. Um, on-the-court reasons, just for what I've said, like, I wasn't, I was no, I wasn't going to be the basketball player that I had dreamed of or even or even aspired to be by being at this school um the individuals we did won't get me better like like i said like i'm being taught the reverse of what i've been taught my whole life like like i said if i can't make a one-hand pass and you're just telling me chess passes and or we're just doing simple zigzag drills like i'm not becoming a better ball handler doing this like you're not helping me be the player i aspire to be you're just letting me run in your system and shoot threes for example so that I knew I wasn't going to necessarily be, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to uh, be, yeah, be the player I wanted to be. Um, I wasn't happy there. I didn't necessarily enjoy the school. Don't get me wrong. I had a ton of like, I had a ton of fun, met some great teammates that I still keep in touch with. Um, and then, yeah, just some other signs off the court, man, just some circumstances, things that I can't, I don't really want to fully go into hit on here because it's very, very long, but you know, Maybe I'll talk about another time on my on my YouTube channel, but um, yeah, just signs essentially just telling me like I'm not supposed to be here. Like that's essentially how I felt when I came to this this, this uh, the decision to leave early. I got some advice speaking to Lloyd, um, yeah, speaking to some other people in my camp, and it was just like yeah, the best decision honestly is just just to leave, get out of here because in January it's not you can't really transfer anywhere. My I initially felt like okay, I'm just going to come home, wait for the next window, not play anywhere, and then transfer somewhere else or make my decision while I'm at home. But transferring in January is not very smart because not a lot of schools have scholarships open. So I was just going to come home, weigh my options, decide if I want to go back to the states or not. And in the end, I didn't. Obviously, like I said, I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, of course, like, you left, but you could have gone to another school. Like, uh, you know, you come, you, you came home. Like, when you're weighing up the options about whether or not you're going to return to the States uh, or whether or not you're going to, you know, make the jump to turn pro, like, what made you just... What made you decide not to go back to the US? Was it just a case of that situation was just so negative overall for you? You just didn't want to be there and you wanted to just make that jump? Or like kind of, yeah, like how, how were you weighing up? Because no doubt, like you must have known, you leaving college without the stats, without the resume, it's going to hurt you turning pro. Um, so it's a big it's a big risk to take. And then you have to, like we've start, like how we started this podcast, you, you took an unconventional route that, that was a bit of a longer way of trying to then find your path, you know? Yeah. Um, so when I came home, I got in touch with an agent. Lloyd put me in touch with, and he essentially he had taught after talking to him. Really, like it kind of made me realize, like, what am I going back to college for? I don't advocate people not going to school either, by the way. But it's not the be all and end all. Um, for me, I like I said from a very young age, I knew what I wanted to do was play professional basketball, and I was given the opportunity to do it. This agent was you know, saying he could get me a job and whatever. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I just felt like, well, why am I wasting more time? Like, I may as well just go and go and play pro. I can go back to school at any point. Realistically, like, my body's not around forever, but my mind is. So and I don't even know what I want to study in school. So and I believed I still believed in myself, despite everything that happened in the States, like with me not playing and stuff like that, because while I wasn't playing, like, I was still working out. I remember like after practice, pulling over the pulling over one of the managers and we'd work out after practice, before games, after games, like any every any time that I had some extra time, like we would work out together for another two hours or whatever. So I believed in my game uh, 100 percent and I knew wherever I was, I was going to be able to make something shake. I That sort of uh, belief that I could still play pro, I felt like I didn't need the stats. I just needed an opportunity. I go like I might not get a job but I'll get a tryout and when I go to the tryout I'll show people that I can play like that's that's what I felt all that mattered at the end of the day so yeah just the belief that I could still do it really so did you did you get back to England in the January of that of your sophomore season yeah 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 right so, after my birthday yeah yeah so then did you and you didn't did you, I I don't know but correct me did you not actually sign until the following season no, 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 no. I was just working out. Just yeah. free. I was a freelance practice player, man. I remember I worked, went and worked out with uh, Leicester for a while, stayed there for a, a week or two. Yeah, yeah, worked out with Bark and Avenue, just a freelance practice player. Well, and you weren't, uh, like, why was that? Was that was that because you just wanted a bit of a time out before going to play again? Or was it the fact your agent couldn't get you something in the middle of the season? Like, yeah, why? Waiting, really. Like I said, it wasn't an immediate decision that I didn't want to go, that I didn't want to go back to uh, college. Okay, you were still weighing up whether or not. You know, right. so, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, pretty much that's it. That's why I didn't sign anywhere right away. That's why I didn't like jump to sign with Barkin or, or anything like that. I was just like, well, I'm just going to stay in shape, make my mind up, go from there. So that first pro contract, how did it come about? Do you remember signing it? Uh, kind of that moment of actually realizing, oh, like I'm actually a professional basketball player now and kind of how that felt, I guess. Yeah, um, how did it come about? It was Lloyd actually who put me in touch with Creon. I had been on a number of other tryouts. Uh, I had been on two tryouts prior to this. One tryout was in second division Italy. Um, 
just at the end of last, as the previous season, it's like March, this team was trying to make the playoffs and their American had just left. So he managed to get me a tryout there. Didn't work out. Another one was in Slovenia for the upcoming season. That didn't work out. And then remember Lloyd calling me and was just like, what do you think about Surrey? Um, went to Surrey, met Creon, had a tryout there. Like I said, I'm just looking for an opportunity. So I jumped at it um, after coming off of two, like, not not uh, not awesome tryouts as far as just like uh, like my time to Slovenia was crazy, man. Honestly, really, really crazy. I got stuck there for like a week, not yeah, about a week in total um, in this hostel with awful food and whatever. Because I'm only on tryouts, so they're not spending a whole lot of money on you. But after after that whole situation, um, Creon finally offered me a job. I, yeah, it was just like it was the best thing in the world for me. Just going through this whole period of coming back from college and having this sort of like anxiety about whether I'm actually going to be able to play pro and actually get a job. Like I'm just missed out on two opportunities and I'm doubting whether this is like a real possibility for me. And then to be, to be given a start in the BBL or to be given a, a start for a chance in the BBL was, it was everything for me really. Yeah, man. Got to, uh, obviously, uh, Surrey announced they signed Evan last night and, and uh, I think yeah, you know there's, there's been a whole whole talk about uh, well I think Tom Bonnet made the comment um, for on Twitter they're saying that like you know Korean won't say it himself but he has a track record of giving opportunities to, to British guys um, oh no he does me and him talk about that all the time whenever we go whenever we meet up we always talk about that man I think I think more clubs need to do it, to be honest. I think that's one thing I criticise the BBO on, honestly. I think more clubs need to take more responsibility of offering younger players genuine opportunities to play in the league. I think that's a massive way we, you can increase the uh, the strength and valid, validity of a league. Yeah. So, yeah, big ups to Creon for doing that on a consistent basis and actually giving guys, like, serious tick to actually play and like opportunities to, to prove themselves in a professional league. 100%. So when it came to actually, you know, getting on the floor, I guess, you know, you, you, you had perceptions of the BBL beforehand before you'd actually played in it kind of, you know, mm -hmm. what were your thoughts going into it? And then actually when you got on the floor and kind of got into the rhythm of like, this is what being a pro is. This is, this is how BBL life looks. Uh, what was the reality like? Um, it's hard to say really because like I had seen I hadn't seen like a ton of BBL games. It's not a league that I would say I watched a lot of. It's not where I put a lot of my attention beforehand. So kind of unmarked territory, honestly. Like it's like we okay from playing the first game. Like I didn't really know what to expect really. Like I had seen a handful of BBL games. I just knew that it was fast paced and you know yeah that's that's it really. So it was a. Uh, I was kind of like pleasantly surprised at how uh, physical it was. Just, I mean, like, yeah, just, just in a, in a contrast to where I've been playing in the past. Like I said, I've essentially taken like two whole years of not really playing basketball and suddenly like I'm just jumped, thrown into a men's league. So I would say that I was more focused on th that kind of aspect than anything to do with the league. If, if I'm being completely honest, like a lot of that, I'm very, I'm very, I was very internal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, how did you feel, uh, when you talk about your actual ability and being able to match up on the floor and stuff, did you feel like you belonged and you were of the level and you knew that you could carve yourself out a, a good career in the BBL if that's what you had wanted to do? Yeah, I think so. It took a little bit of time for me to really feel that way. I think, um, I don't think that came about until maybe 
January of that season. I think I had like a 20 point game against Glasgow. And I think that's when I really, really felt like, okay, like I can be decent here. I'm going to be fine because it had been very up and down, very up and down up until then, I feel like. But that first that first season, I look back on that season really fondly, honestly. Um, yeah, we had we had a really good team at Surrey. I think one of Surrey's better teams, to be honest. So you made the yeah, play- no, you made the playoffs was- that year, right? Yeah, yeah, we made the playoffs. Yeah. We made the playoffs. What were the biggest adjustments to pro life? Like, kind of, I guess, uh, yeah. What were you? Was there anything that really caught you off guard? Like, oh, I'd never really actually thought about. You know, this is what it would be like as a professional basketball player. I mean. Not really, just because, like I said, I've been around pros since I was 14, so I'm like, uh, yeah, if yeah. I haven't, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if I hadn't experienced it, I heard about it. So I was aware of all the free time you were going to have. I was aware of, you know, the kind of, like, where you need to look after your body and just, just all the little nuances and stuff like that, the kind of, like, little habits you need to sort of, like, um, keep to it, to, to uh, ensure you're going to be successful, really. Um as far as looking after yourself and the mentality you need to go in the mentality you need to go into into the season as far as like this is a job every every game's an interview sort of thing like you know just things like that so no again that's that's the blessing of me playing up uh from a very very young age i kind of like had the heads up i didn't have to experience a lot of it and i had like good ogs on my team like alex awumi like who was a great great guy to play behind with with him looking out for me the whole time were you looking at when you when you talk about kind of your outlook on that season? Were you looking at the BBL as a stepping stone and saying, "Do you know what? Uh, I know I w- I want to play overseas. I want to play in Europe or whatever. Um, but I need to make sh- like because of obviously leaving college early and stuff. I need to get some numbers here. I need to prove to people that I can play at this level to then be able to use it as a stepping stone." Were you looking at it like that? Were you were you thinking at that point? Oh, there's a chance that I could actually end up, you know being playing in the BBL for the next 10, 15 years? No, I'd, I agree with the first one, but I wanted to prove that that's, it's a possibility. I wanted to prove that you don't have to run away to the States to go and play at the level that you aspire to play at, just because I don't think necessarily all your situation, like, like I mean, I found myself in a situation where it didn't benefit me, and I feel like if you're a young player and you're weighing your options and maybe you don't like all of your situations in the States like other European kids, like they have an option to stay and play at home and then go play other otherwhere in Europe. Like, why don't we have that? And I kind of like wanted to, I wanted to prove that that was possible. I wanted to play in the BBL and then go off and do bigger, better things and show like that there's a pathway that we can create here. It doesn't have to be, all right, you go through here and now we have to leave to the States and then, you know, come back and whatever. Like there's a, there's a, there's a pathway we can go through here. Do you, do you feel like the perception of the BBL and kind of a, uh... You know, with a number of British guys that we have playing in it now, do you feel like that has changed a lot since when you were first coming up? Um, yeah, it has changed as far as yeah, the amount of British guys. But I still think it's tough, man. It's it's difficult, and I understand the challenge that clubs have when it comes to maybe present, maybe recruiting younger guys. Let's say, for example. Um, I don't know, kids being recruited to go to the States, like it's hard to argue with all the, you know, the things the States promise. But at the same time, I don't know, you need, it's definitely getting better, but I think there are probably things that, that can be done necessarily, like if giving kids a genuine opportunity, do you know what I'm talking about? That's that's the reason that, that's what Creon afford, afforded me. 
it was the 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 promise of me genuinely playing and having a a, a, a role on this team like you know not just yeah you're on the roster you're going to be in practices and whatever minutes you get you work hard for you know yeah, thanks for showing up and being an extra body like no you're important to this team your performance matters kind of thing yeah, like, that, I think there's, there's you, a massive difference in that, right? There's a massive difference between do, doing it for the PR and saying, "Oh, we've got we've got three young British guys on the bench or whatever," but actually, yeah. they never play and they make three appearances all season or whatever, you know? Exactly, it means nothing. Absolutely, it means absolutely nothing. So, I'd say you present a kid with that and then go into the states, where maybe he thinks about it a little differently, especially if he's got the right people in his corner and he understands what he what, what and he understands or he or she understands what they want, because. I feel like you have to understand. Um, I mean, you need to know why you're going. Why? Okay. Why are you going to the States? Do you want to be a professional basketball player? Well, if you want to be a professional basketball player, what kind of role are you going to be given over there versus, let's say, you're given, obviously, what kind of role are you going to be given over here? Well, what kind of player do you want to be? If you just want to be a player that can play in, play in this coach's system well, or do you want to let's say you're given a bigger role here do you want to be, be able to uh, come into your own as a player and be a bit more have a bit be a bit more of a star or a leader or whatever like you just need to know where you're going to sort of get in where you fit in if you, if you, do you yeah, understand yeah. what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. just going not going blindly let's say to the states or even even to, to going here just just for the credit on your badge do you know what i mean yeah. you want to be a good basketball player not look like a good basketball player so you only want to go to situations that afford you that kind of opportunity. I was going to say, I mean, you semi-answered it there, but I guess to, to be a bit more explicit, you know, if you were talking to an 18-year-old that was weighing up options to go to the States, different schools or whatever, and and, and, and thinking about uh, what, what are the things that they need to consider, if you were giving them advice and you were saying, okay, this is the list of things that you need to really think about before you make this decision in terms of like whether it's playing time, whether it's who, who, what other players are in their position, you know, who they're recruiting next year, like kind of what are those things when you go down the list, like, uh, because, uh, you know, as we know with, with your story, you can be made promises that don't end up coming to fruition and then you're in a situation yeah. where it's just like, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, so, yeah, what, what advice tangible advice would you say that kids need to uh really consider when they're looking at you know uh i guess the next step in their basketball career whether it's going to the states or, or you know signing with a with, with a team in europe instead well i honestly believe there's not a, a huge amount of point in going to this if you have aspirations of being a basketball player there's not a lot there's not a lot of points in going to the states if you're not going to be one of the main focal points. If a coach isn't actually looking for your development in the next four years and you're not important to that program's success, I don't see there's any point in you going because you're just going to be a cog in the wheel and you come out as a cog. How, you know how I mean? can you know that though? Because I'm sure, I feel like a coach, like how, how many coaches are going to be straight with a kid and say, you, you know what, you're going to come here for four years, you're going to ride the pine for four years, you're going to give you a scholarship, but you really ain't going to play. Well, Okay, so have a, you have a situa you have situations like Luke and Aquazi. They went to they went to situations where you know they're looked at to be like, okay, we want you to lead that you you know you're essentially going to lead this program to where we need to go. We're invested in you. Not all schools are like that, and that, that is a hard thing to navigate. But you got to be honest with yourself. Like, I, well, first of all, I was never told that I was going to have that kind of opportunity. You know what I mean? So like I could look, I could, you can hear a coach and you know, that's not going to be the case. So you look at the roster, you know, that's not going to be the case. If you see a lot of seniors or a lot of guys older than you, you know, that maybe you're not going to be, um, yeah, maybe you're not going to be the main, fo you're not going to be the main focus. I think that's, that's definitely the most important thing because otherwise, 
it's tough because okay you get a degree out of it and that's and that's cool but it's a us degree and again if you don't go to an ivy league school not that it's useless but if you want to come live back in the uk you have to come back to school anyway so if you want to be a professional basketball player wouldn't it benefit you more to look at your basketball situation do you understand what i mean yeah so if you're presented with a with a situation within europe whether that's with whether that's in the uk or maybe you play maybe you play somewhere else in europe that can afford you a situation to really grow as a basketball player where you're going to be given a lot of playing time to be able to play through your mistakes and have some growth as a player if you want to be a professional basketball player i feel like that would benefit you much more to do that than to just go to the states yeah 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 no, fair enough I, yeah it, make, it makes perfect sense look, look, i'm aware i'm aware of time so let's um let's do some uh quick fire questions just to wrap up uh yeah sure Let's let's start with. I'll be interested to kind of hear, hear your pick here, but like the best junior player, like from your era, when when you look back at the competition, or maybe even teammates, like who who was the best British junior player that that you played with, played against? British, obviously. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um, David Keeper at one point was a very big problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that year, David Keeper when I, when I was in. Um, yeah, ten year eleven. We were playing Division Four, Division Three, or whatever. Yeah, David Keeper was a problem, man. Absolute it's menace. So <laughs> much raw talent, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. He's he's in Germany now, isn't he? Is he in Germany or? He's, yeah, he's, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the day. Yeah. And then, uh, best coach you ever played for? Lloyd Gardner. That's, yeah, Lloyd Gardner, easily, man. Lloyd, I'll take British Lloyd Gardner, not non British Louise Gill. What do you think separates Lloyd? Um, he gets the best out of players, man. I think that's that's one of the best things. What's one of his best attributes? He knows how to get the best out of players. Um, like we, like at Barking, for example, we played in kind of like a motion offense, equal opportunity sort of thing. And he just knows he sort of knows where where to put people and how they can be successful on that team. And you you always, I mean, at least it's easy for me to say, but I always felt like the reason we had success. Uh, that year that we won Division One was because everyone felt a part of the team. Everyone felt like they had a role and everyone was involved. And it's quite easy for some players to get lost on teams and feel forgotten about, and then they don't excel and stuff like that. But if a coach can sort of pull the best out of you, then you know that's the best thing a coach can do, really. What's your single favourite basketball memory? Um, that is tough, bro. That is really tough. I would say either winning that Division One championship or playing in the Jordan Brand Classic, one of those two. Yeah. Do you know that that's actually on my to do list, my to talk about list, and we didn't even, we didn't even speak about. It. Let's just quickly. Jordan Brand Classic was uh, what year was it? Twenty thirteen. Uh, New York City. At the time, you were only the third British player to actually uh, uh, play in the 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 All Star game from from the camp, um, and you you start did you start in it? Um. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you yeah. you were yeah. a starter in it. Um. In that game, Jamal Murray was ended up being uh, one of the co-MVPs in it. Uh, there was a bunch of Ben Simmons was in it, Fonmaker was in it. Like, kind of just just quickly, like, how was that as an experience? Like, you know, we know, you know, these brands when they do these types of things, they put it on for the guys. You know what I mean? Like, it's a next yeah. level thing. Like, what what are your memories of it? And kind of, I guess, um, yeah, like, what are the standout things that happened over the course of that? I don't know, was it four or five days that, that you're in New York? Yeah, uh, standout number one was getting to meet the man himself, uh, Jordan. That was honestly, that's honestly up there. Still one of my best memories to date. Shaking his hand and you know meeting him and talking to him for even a couple seconds. That was dope. Um, 
Jamal Murray was my roommate. Uh, it's unfortunate that we didn't stay in better touch, man. We still like, you know, very, very, very free- frequently, like, we'll, you know, send each other a message on Instagram or whatever. But yeah, he was cool to hang around with and get to know for like a, for like the best part of a week. Even Thorn and you know Ben Simmons, just meeting those guys and actually getting to meet them as people was really cool. And like, it's just it's just funny to see them there now, where they're at now. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's madness. <laughs> but that whole event was was crazy. I mean, we stayed in this really nice uh five star hotel obviously in times square like there's a players lounge with like classic arcade games place at ps3s and just all that stuff food and yeah it was just an awesome event man yeah amazing it was uh yeah it was a, a big deal at the time i remember um and then finally uh the future so let's say yeah. ne- next five years kind of your what are you 23 23 yeah. yeah so next five years i'll take you to 28 like what do you want to achieve over the next five years of career you know if you look where you are now where you want to be by the time you hit 28 what do you want to have achieved uh what do you want to be doing basketball wise well this season if you know corona allows it i'm hoping to have a, i'm hoping i'm hoping to make the playoffs with this team and hopefully if, if we can even get promoted honestly that's my number one goal um yeah, so personally, I want to get back into Leb Gold um, and try and have the season I felt like I did, try and have the opportunity I felt like I deserved at the time, have, try and have that again. Um, and then from there, man, honestly, sounds crazy, but like I'm trying to, I'm trying to be on like, I'm pushing for like a Euro, like a, a Euro, Euro um, sorry, a Euro Cup or a Champions League team really, or like, you know, even higher, man. I, like I say, why not? Why, honestly, why not? Like I've overcome... A massive amount of adversity in my opinion now and i'm only 23 so it'd be ridiculous to sort of like cap myself now still being so young and still having the opportunity to learn so much and like i said i feel like i'm finally in a position in in a situation where i can really like excel so who knows man but that is definitely like i would say short terms like i'm trying to go to love gold and then try and go somewhere try and go somewhere bigger from there and hopefully one day come back home and play man when it makes a bit more sense honestly honestly i do want to come back home and play it's just uh yeah i've got aspirational things to do first if that makes sense yeah yeah makes perfect sense that's a perfect place to leave it josh thank you so much uh for taking the time uh definitely you know maybe we, we jump back on in five years time we see how it's all panned out yeah. um but yeah thank you so much no problem it's been a pleasure thank you Hey, podcast listener, but you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.